What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday and welcome in to our Wild Sports Talk St. Patrick's Day special here on this wild and wacky Monday. Hopefully you guys are all doing well wherever you guys may be on this great land. My name is Isaiah Leong and I'm joining you guys from the Bay Area. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Sammy Sharp and also tonight we have a very special guest in Lorenzo Antonio joining us tonight from Southern California. California. First of all, uh, Lorenzo, welcome onto the show, man. Uh, we are so glad to have you on our program for tonight. How are you doing, man? And how was your weekend? My weekend's been excited to join the uh, Wild Sports Talk family. I can't wait to uh, to have a lot of fun with you guys every time you guys do these shows. And thanks for bringing me on board. And uh, I'm happy to replace uh, Jonathan Mathis on, and I take his place on his show on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, man. Uh, Lorenzo, tell us a little bit about you. You know, uh, tell the audience, you know, about your sports podcast that you currently run on Anchor and also uh, YouTube as well. The sports podcast I run is the Loro Antonio Sports Talk podcast. I run it on Anchor. I also started using StreamYard now just because I wanted to get more of that out there as well. And then I also do my pre- and post-game shows for, for like the Lakers and Dodgers and other sports I do on Instagram Live. That's awesome, man. And uh, I think you're going to be doing the play-by-play uh, -play play for the Lakers Warriors game, if I'm uh, not, if I'm like correct, right? Yes, but that doesn't start until seven thirty, so I'm I'm good. All right, yeah. So catch uh, Lorenzo tonight on the Lakers Warriors play-by-play -play on Color Cast. You won't want to miss that. But Sammy Sharp, man, thanks for joining me once again here on Wild Sports Talk. Uh, we we have a lot of stuff to get into, but first of all. Uh, how are you doing, my man, and how was your weekend? Uh, very uh, nice weekend, very chill weekend. I uh, can't say about every weekend, but you know, it's been very nice. And how you guys been this fine evening? How are you? How was your weekend, Isaiah? Oh, I, I had a great weekend, man. Um, I, you know, relaxed a lot, uh, chilled out, um, just was waiting for today because today is officially – uh, what we call in the sports world football Christmas. That's what we call it because, you know, it's free agency. And, you know, as a football fan, this is what we live for, to see all these free agents come off the board. But before we get into that, you know, once again, it's our St. Patrick's Day special. We got Mr. Leprechaun over here. We also got some uh, clover cookies that – uh, we have here on the night show. Uh, so thank. Uh, so that's what we're going to be, in, be enjoying tonight on this St. Patrick's Day special. But before we get into our sports content, just want to remind all the fans out there to go out and check out our MI6 Sports Network YouTube channel. We've got a bunch of new clips out uh, from various programs on the network. That's the link right there. And also check out our MI6 Sports Network Facebook page and give us a like and a follow uh, if you haven't yet. And also check out our MI6 Sports Network website as well. That's the link down below. And you guys can check that out for our podcast as well as some other videos that we have. And also we have our articles as well. So go check that out. Uh, but going into our comment section before we go into sports, uh, my guy, Callan McClurg, tunes in on his off day saying, hey, Leon, you're being watched. What's going on, Callan? Hopefully you're doing good this this evening, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. 
Uh, Corey Goodrich, what's up from Minnesota? What's going on, Corey? Hope you are doing well, and thanks for tuning in. My guy Chardot tunes in and says, hi, Isaiah. What's going on, Chardot? Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Chardot asks, how are you doing, bro? I'm doing well, Chardot. Thanks for asking me. And happy early St. Patrick's Day. Same to you as well. And also, uh, Callan with welcome aboard, Lorenzo. Welcome aboard, my man. And also, Corey says, awesome people. Really appreciate the kind words. But, fellas, going into our NFL free agency frenzy segment, you know, we had a lot of moves go down in the NFL world. But the Patriots making a huge splash to start off day one of NFL free agency. The Pats, this or today, they inked. Matthew Juden, Kendrick Bourne, Jonu Smith, Nelson Aguilar to massive contracts to bolster their team. Uh, Lorenzo, I'm going to start with you first on this because you are our, our resident Patriots fan on the panel. Uh, what was your uh, favorite move out of all these moves that we just named? And um, yeah, just talk about, you know, you like, what did you think about the Patriots and Bill Belichick doing something that he doesn't really typically do, and that is go out and spend lots of money in free agency? I felt like that Bill Belichick did what he was supposed to do because I really think that the Patriots, however, needed to spend that money. I love the John U. Smith signee. I think that he is going to be a big part of the passing game, the blocking game open up holes for the run game. And also I think Matthew Judon I also love because I think that Matthew Judon is going to be a guy that is going to help get to the quarterback passer and faster, I mean. And I think that the Patriots, however, I think that they really hit it on in day one of free agency. But I think Kendrick Bjorn could be a solid piece to the Patriots on offense. But the only thing they're missing is their long-term quarterback. I don't know if Cam Newton is going to be their long-term guy. I don't. I mean, I think he's he's a good player, but I just think that Cam Newton is just not good how he used to be. Yeah, excellent points, man. Um, you know, Sammy. Before I get to you on this, uh, let me just say I was really shocked by all the flurry of moves that we have seen so far in day one of free agency. You know, when, when I like looked at it, like this free agent period, I thought that day one we would hear a bunch of rumors because normally day one is when teams just reach out to agents and to free agents to to feel what their asking price is. And I didn't expect that we would have all these moves go down. I thought all of these moves would start happening on Tuesday and Wednesday as we got down the line of free agency. But about the Patriots, you know, Matthew Juden, I think, is a great move for the New England Patriots. He's very versatile. He's a guy that uh, can get after the quarterback and also he can play in coverage as well. So I think that was money well spent. By the New England Patriots, they gave him a four-year, $56 million contract. Just a massive contract for Matthew Juden. Uh, Juden last season had six sacks and 51 tackles. Uh, the year before, he had 54 tackles and nine and a half sacks. Uh, this, the, this guy will help the Patriots get after the quarterback and also help stop the run and also cover uh, either tight ends and wide receivers, something they, they really needed. Because that defense last season, yes, they had a lot of opt-outs, but they weren't 
that good. So they desperately needed to bolster that defense. Uh, you look at Kendrick Bourne, um, you know, as a Niner fan, I hate to see him go because, you know, Kendrick Bourne was one of the heart and souls of the San Francisco 49ers. He was like a leader for the 49ers. He was a guy that had so much fun on the football field. And he was just a big body wide receiver that you could count on to make those clutch catches in the middle of the field. And that's going to be a big loss for the 49ers. That's going to be a great weapon for either Cam Newton or uh, whomever comes and becomes the new Patriots quarterback to have that reliable weapon to go across the middle and then you look at um, Janu Smith. You know, Janu Smith was coached by a Bill Belichick disciple in Mike Vrabel. Uh, I think that's why Bill Belichick targeted him early on. Uh, Janu Smith is a guy that's really uh, underrated when it comes to catching the football. He's a tremendous blocker. He's going to give that, that offense another weapon. And then you look at Nelson Aguilar. You know, Nelson Aguilar is a deep threat. He's a speedster. The Patriots, you know, they can use him like how the Niners used Marquise Goodwin. And I think that with these moves, I think you could say today that the Patriots offense is much improved than they were a couple of days ago. But Sammy, I'm going to go to you on this. Uh, like I said, the Patriots signing Matt, Matthew Juden, Kendrick Bourne, John U. Smith, Nelson Aguilar, among others, to massive contracts to start free agency. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? And um, were you surprised that Bill Belichick went out and spent a ton of money early on in free agency? I'm surprised where Bill Pilichek spent the money at. Uh, he spent a lot of money in Johnny Smith uh, getting the passing game revamped almost. And my question is, you know, why are you spending money when you don't have um, passing game when you don't have your franchise quarterback? I understand getting serviceable tight ends, getting serviceable wide receivers for right now. But right now you don't have a quarterback to, to make those accurate throws. So I, I think John U. Smith will be uh, a really good asset for right now. I don't know about Nelson Aguilar. I think, you know, he, he's known for dropping the uh, ball out in Philly. And then the biggest signing, though, and I thought was the best signing of uh, so far today, was Matt Mario, uh, Matthew Judon going to the Patriots. I thought that was the biggest signing the Patriots could have made and really put their defense. If they can get everyone returning in, they're going to be a really dangerous team next year with that defense coming back next year. And, you know, if they do get that quarterback uh, question answered this offseason, you could potentially see them, you know, in a wild card spot next year or could possibly contend for the playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Uh, the Patriots with these moves really surprised a lot of people and really improved their team greatly from what they were just a couple of days ago. They just need to get that quarterback situation uh, fixed. If they can, you know, fix it, uh, you know, by drafting a quarterback or by going out and, you know, trading for a veteran quarterback like a Jimmy Garoppolo, because that Cam Newton contract, even though on paper, it looks like it's a lot of money and it's a stupid contract when you actually dig deep and, you know, look at it. It's one year, 14 million, but it's only a five million dollar base salary, five million dollar guaranteed contract. And it's nine million dollars in incentives. So they could easily cut Cam Newton and just get rid of him if they are able to land like a Jimmy Garoppolo or one of the um, top quarterbacks in the draft. But we want to know what you guys think. Uh, are the Patriots now a playoff team after all these moves that they made today? But going into our comments section, uh, we have, let's see, 
my guy Shardo Gupta saying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just re-signed uh, Shaq Barrett to a two-year contract today in NFL free agency. Yeah, that was a huge move by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really surprised that Shaq Barrett took the contract that he did with the Bucs, given the fact that I heard a couple of days ago that he was wanting just 25 to $26 million per year or something just really out of this world. So really surprised that he took that contract. But fellas, going into our next free agent topic and we go to another shocking move, and that is Joe Thune, the one of the best guards on the market, signs a five-year, $80 million contract with the Kansas City Chiefs and to help protect Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Sammy, I'm going to go to you first on this. Uh, what is your reaction to Joe Thune choosing to go to Kansas City? Well, my reaction is, you know, where else is this money going to go? You know, you look at the Kansas City roster and how much money they're spending already on Mahomes, already spending on uh, Kelsey to have him locked up. You're already now you're spending another eighty million on Thumi. It's just really good. You know, you should get your offensive line secured, down packed. But here's the thing: how much money? How much more money are you going to spend on your offense, and you know, neglect the defense almost? This defense, you know, I think it has another two, three years. Frank Clark is getting paid, but he's the only player that right now that's getting paid. You have a lot of third, fourth rounders that are going, that are going to running out on their rookie contracts that you're going to have to replace here soon. And how long are you going to be able to keep it up if you're the Chiefs? Uh, I think the signing overall, though, as of right now, it's a really smart signing for the Chiefs uh, to continue contending this year. Just as far as the long term goes, you know, how are you going to make sure you get enough money to where you can um, you know, at least put a bandaid over some of the parts on defense that are going to be, there are going to be huge holes. There's going to be huge holes on the defense eventually. And, you know, how, how in the long term are you going to be able to put a bandaid on it? Yeah, excellent point, Sammy. Uh, Loro, I'm going to go to you next on this. Uh, this deal for Joe Thune is five years, $80 million. It comes with a $17 million signing bonus and also Thune gets $48 million in guaranteed money over three seasons. Uh, you know, the Chiefs, they desperately needed, a, a, you know, pieces on their offensive line, and they go get one of the best guards on the free agent market. What was your reaction to this deal? From a Patriots fan myself, I mean, it's no surprise that Joe Tooney would leave the Patriots. I mean, I as much as I love Joe Tooney, I feel like that the Patriots could always move Isaiah Wynn to left guard. But Joe Tooney going to join Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, this really makes the Chiefs offensive line very stable. This also stabilizes the loss of Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Now what the Chiefs got to do next is they got to get a right and left tackle and they also need to find a way to keep Sammy Watkins. That's the next thing on their agenda. And I think that the Chiefs they're, I still think the Chiefs, to me, are still going to be Super Bowl contenders. They're still going to win the AFC West regardless. But I just think that the Chargers are going to challenge them. But I think the Joe Tooney signing really, really helps stabilize things on the offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I completely agree with you on this. Uh, this move really helped stabilize the offensive line for the Chiefs. You know, they lost Mitchell Schwartz. They lost uh, Eric Fisher. And, you know, they only had Colecchio Semele and um, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. But, you know, like you said, this really stabilizes the offensive line. And this really helps protect Patrick Mahomes. We saw in the Super Bowl that if you don't, pat if you don't protect Patrick Mahomes, no matter how great Patrick Mahomes is, is he can't really do anything if you don't give him time to throw the football. So I think this is a very solid signing for the Kansas City Chiefs. I was actually very shocked that the Kansas City Chiefs came up with the money to get a guy in Joe Thune. Um, there, were, there were reports that uh, also that they were, might want to go out and get Trent Williams from the 49ers, but I don't think that they're going to have enough money now to land a Trent Williams. So we'll see how uh, it shakes out, but this is a very solid signing for Kansas City, and they're definitely going to be back, uh, or one of the teams that is going to be back contending for a Super Bowl next season, Chardot. Tunes in and he says, I think uh, Joe Thune will make Kansas City a really strong team uh, with the signing of Joe Thune and lead them to another Super Bowl victory. And Chardot also says that the Patriots, they will definitely miss Joe Thune a lot, but I wish him the best. You know, another thing about this Joe Thune signing is that the Chiefs might want to beware because Patriots offensive linemen, they don't typically work out when they're away from New England. You look at Nate Soder, um, he left New England and he hasn't been the same. Trent Brown left New England and he hasn't been the same. So uh, that's my only concern with, you know, the Joe Thune signing is the fact that, um, that we don't know if it's maybe the system that made him like really good or if he's actually really good. So that's the only concern that I have. Uh, Sammy uh, or Loro, you guys want to add anything else to this? I mean, if you, I mean, if I want, I, I think that the Chiefs are going to be great, but I think on the Patriots side, they've done a good job. They've been very busy this offseason, but I also wanted to say that they also had a Jalen Mills from the Eagles that's going to really, really help. They're secondary. But I do think the Patriots' offensive line is going to be better than it was last year now that we got rid of Marcus Cannon. You got Trent Brown back. Now I think we need a left tackle. And it could be oh, Josh Owanyu from Michigan, who we drafted last year, could really step into the spotlight. Yeah, definitely for sure. Uh, but moving on to our next topic, you know, my 49ers uh, last night brought back Kyle Juszczyk on a five-year, $27 million contract. And today, they bring back Jason Verrett on a shocking one-year, $6.5 million deal. And also, they poach Samson Ebukam from the Los Angeles Rams on a two-year deal. You know, my thoughts about the 49ers move, I was really shocked about Jason Verrett because I was really certain that Jason Verrett was at least going to get a three-year to four-year year contract with another team that's why when you know me and sammy we did our nfl free agency special last week and we were predicting where all of these free agents were going to go i said that barrett was for surely going to be gone because he wants to secure the bag after he had that redemption season last season so i was shocked that he came back but this is a great move for the 49ers you bring him back on a one-year 6.5 million dollar deal you now have solidified one cornerback spot so if you like you won't be losing two corners you have one there now so you can now just focus 
you know, in the draft, whether it's drafting another corner to go along with Jason Barrett, it's not going to be like you have to draft three, four corners. You just need to draft one or two corners. So good job by John Lynch and the 49ers front office by bringing back Jason Barrett. Um, Samson Epucam, uh, I like the move because he's a guy that is – uh, a good pass rusher. He had, I believe, 12 sacks in four seasons with the Rams um, in limited playing time. He's a guy that's a situational pass rusher. And I don't know if this move is for him to ultimately replace D4. You know, I know the 49ers today, they restructured D Ford's contract uh, instead of giving or instead of like having him continue to play on that massive deal he signed a couple of years ago. Now he's going to be on a two-year, $24 million contract. It's easier to cut him. Uh, and and instead of, you know, you having to pay him like $11 million in guaranteed money if he doesn't pass a physical by April 1st. And I don't think he will pass a physical because, as I said earlier, he was dealing with neck. He's dealing with a neck injury. He's dealing with a back injury. And who knows if he's even going to come back to play football. I like this Epochem move. I think it's a very underrated move. And um, I want to see what he can do opposite of Nick Bosa because now with Nick Bosa – uh, on the left side, rushing, rushing the passer and gaining a lot of attention from the opposing team's offensive line. you got Javon Kinlaw, who came on strong in the second half of last season. He's going to get a lot of attention in that middle of that defensive line. I think that frees up a lot of uh, – it frees up a lot for Ebukim to rush the passer and get lots of success next season for the Rams. But, you know, Lowro, I'll start with you on this. Uh, what do you make of all the 49ers moves that they've made so far? And, you know, out of all the moves that we just listed, which one would you say is your favorite out of all the Niners moves? My favorite one that the Niners did was keeping Kyle Juszczyk. But I really think that Kyle Juszczyk is a big part of the run blocking schemes. But also defensively, I think the Niners have gotten better. Like you were talking about the D Ford situation, D Ford is hurt, and getting Samson Ebukam to the to the uh, 49ers, I really think you put him on the opposite side of Nick Bosa. I think that the Niners defense is is going to be very very good. The Niners already have a good defense, but it just doesn't hurt to add more. But keeping Jason Verrett, I mean, I think that the Niners really like Jason Verrett, and I think Jason Verrett is a guy that could definitely be a shutdown corner. Assuming that if Richard Sherman doesn't leave, where do the Niners go at, at defensive back? What do they do at corner? That's going to be the question now for the Niners. And definitely, Isaiah, I really, really think that the Niners should definitely find a way to get some more receivers for Jimmy Garoppolo. Or maybe, a court, maybe they get a quarterback in the draft and move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Who knows? Yeah, speaking of that, you know, there is a rumor out there, I think from CBS Sports, that the 49ers and Juju Smith-Schuster have mutual interests. So if the 49ers, you know, if it comes down to, I think it's going to come down to you're either going to pay Trent Williams a big contract or you're either going to pay Juju Smith-Schuster a big contract because you can't afford both. To, yeah, you can't afford to pay both massive amounts of money. So you're going to have to choose one. And if I'm the 49ers, if I'm John Lynch, believe it or not, I'm paying Juju Smith-Schuster because, you know, Trent Williams, I like Trent Williams, but if he's going to demand like 23 to $25 million, I think I can get a, 
uh, a serviceable left tackle that can step in for much less than Trent Williams wants to make. And I'm, I'll tell you guys this. If Juju Smith-Schuster goes to the 49ers, I, I think the 49ers might be back to uh, win the NFC West next season, believe it or not, because you're going to have Juju with Brandon Ayuk, who had an amazing rookie year, with Debo Samuel, who, when healthy, is a really good wide receiver, really fast. George Kittle, one of the best tight ends in the NFL, plus the stable of backs that they have. And you ha add all that offensive pieces to the monstrous defense that they have. I mean, Wow, it might be a wrap for all the other teams in the NFL. But, Sammy, I'm going to go to you on this next. Uh, the 49ers, they bring back Jason Barrett. They get Samson Abukam from the Los Angeles Rams. They restructured D Ford's contract. And now there's rumors that they and Juju Smith-Schuster, they have mutual interest uh, in bringing Juju to the Bay Area. Uh, what Out of all these moves, which move is your favorite that uh, from the 49ers and what do you put what do you possibly think about Juju potentially going to the Bay Area and would you choose Juju or Trent Williams if you had to choose one if you're the Niners okay then I answer the first thing uh, I think the biggest move this year and you know it's not just as far as talent wise you know to keep Jason Verrett for only six million in a year on a prove it deal that's huge for the Niners they didn't have to do that Jason Verrett didn't have to do that and to be able to get him on such a cheap deal like he is on right now, that's great for the Niners, you know? And then as far as the Trent Brown and the Juju deal, um, or, you know, if I'm the Niners, one of the most important positions in football is the blind side on the offensive line, the left tackle, okay? That's the reason why they're one of the highest paid positions in the professional sport. You know, you have your quarterback, you have your uh, main pass rusher, and then you have your blindside offensive lineman, your blindside tackle. Those are the three most important positions in right now in the sport. And if you don't have a blindside tackle, if you have a serviceable one, and your quarterback all of a sudden, you know, he gets hit lit up one, two times, he's going to get happy feet. And, you know, I don't care who you have running those routes. I feel like you can have a serviceable wide receivers as long as they have speed, as long as they can um, make the routes work. And as long as they can catch the football, I feel like you can really have whoever at wide receiver. Brady's done this for 20 years and has, has had, you know, Randy Moss for one year, uh, Chad Johnson for one, another year. And, you know, he's had very serviceable wide receivers. That hasn't had the biggest ones. You know, you could point at uh, Ben Roethlisberger. You could argue Ben Roethlisberger's made almost every wide receiver Pittsburgh's ever had. You know, with the you know exception of maybe Antonio Brown, I think Antonio Brown's footwork was probably the best of any other wide receiver in the decade. But anyways, and then you go to Peyton Manning. You know, you go to Peyton Manning. You look at the wide receivers he's had. He hasn't had big name wide receivers. He's had a Wes Walker here. He's had a Demarius Thomas. You know, uh, Marvin Harrison was a very good wide receiver, and so was Reggie Wayne. But I don't think they have the same success outside of uh, Peyton Manning than they do. You know as they did with Peyton Manning. So as far as a wide receiver, I don't see that as a serious need. I know you see this as a serious need. I think you said that they would win the NFC West, that they signed Juju Smith, some crazy stuff like that. I don't think that they're winning. I don't think they're winning the division over a wide receiver. I think a wide receiver is a very uh, replaceable position. Uh, you know, uh, offensive lineman, offensive lineman is one that you replace, unless you have Tom Brady or big Ben at quarterback that can get rid of it in three seconds or less. You know, it's one of the most important positions in football right now. So I'm saying you can put the money in the offensive line. 
and you know you find yourself a serviceable wide receiver and you know and they do have a lot yeah san francisco this year they're going to have a lot to replace in that wide receiving core it's no joke so you know so i think that they would be able to find a good wide receiver in the draft and everyone's gonna have no no one's gonna have good cap money so you're going to find you know those big name wide receivers that are going to willing or going to be taking less money than they normally would because of the 15 million dollar divot this year so you know you're going to find those cheap wide receivers later in free agency than you would right now so right now the 49ers should be waiting to find their wide receiving court get maybe get one in the draft re-sign trent brown and you know roll with whatever you get Sammy, I mean, let me ask you though before uh, you know we move on from this topic. Would you really, really be willing to pay Trent Williams the twenty-three to twenty-five million dollars a year that he wants? I would, uh, you know, ask him for twenty, and then if he's not willing to sell for twenty, I'd see what he can find on the market. And if he can't find it on the market, he's going to come back and get the twenty. All right, uh, Loro, I want to ask you, you know, the question that I also posed to Sammy, and that is, you know, if you're John Lynch and you're the 49ers um, and, you know, Trent Williams, there's reports coming out that he wants like 22 to 23 or 25 million on his next contract. And, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, those rumors are out there. If you're John Lynch, do you prioritize bringing back Trent Williams or do you throw all the money to go get a Juju Smith-Schuster and have that luxury uh, offensive weapons that you would have? I would prioritize bringing Trent Williams back because I think that you need a left tackle to protect Garoppolo's blind side. Trent Williams knows Kyle Shanahan. So that's why I think that if I were John Lynch, prioritize bringing back Trent Williams. All right. Uh, you know, to uh, for the fans out there, um, you know, comment down below where whether should the 49ers prioritize Trent Williams or should they throw the bag at Juju Smith-Schuster? We really want to know what you guys think about that. But, fellas, going into our next free agent move, and that is Yannick Nagakwe going to the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden and the Raiders have had lots of interest in Yannick Nagakwe. Uh, for a long, long time. In fact, they tried to trade for him last season, uh, but to no avail. But they finally get their man, Yannick, signs with the Raiders for two years and $26 million to help bolster the Raiders' pass rush. Uh, Sammy, uh, give us your thoughts on this Yannick to the Raiders move. Well, my first thought hearing this news was – that the Ravens lost Judon and they lost Yannick. And I was so happy to hear that, man, because, you know, as a Steelers fan, our offensive line this year, it, it, they Steelers right now are scrambling to find old Pittsburgh Steelers uh, offensive linemen. They were, trying, they were trying to get Filer not too long ago before he signed today, and they signed B.J. Finney, who's another former Steeler. So right now at this rate, they're gonna probably going to call someone out of retirement, probably Alan Fanica out of retirement to try to sign him again. But, uh, you know, it, as a Steelers fan, you know, with our struggling offensive line, you know, it's nice to hear that the Ravens' best two pass rushers are now gone. It weakens, it weakens their defensive front. As for Vegas, though, you know, the Raiders right now have probably one of the best duos 
in the uh, AFC West as far as pass rushing goes. You got Max Crosby on one side. He's very young, by the way. And then you have uh, Nagakwe on the other, who's in his prime. And, you know, this is not a bad team. The Raiders really, with the two pass rushers right now, really need that because their last year, last two years, they're just they're so close to the playoffs. Right now they're on the brink of the wild card. And with another pass rusher, a very good pass rusher in Yannick, they could get into an 10 and 6, 11 and 5 type season next year and possibly give you know the Chiefs an upset because they're the only team that really gave them a big fight throughout the season. They beat them the one time and I think they're a possession away from beating them a second time. So, you know, this is a team that could be very dangerous coming in the next year's playoffs if everything, if all the cards are probably right and no one gets hurt. Oh, I totally agree with that, man. The Raiders desperately needed to make this move because the offense has been great for the Raiders. It hasn't been the issue. The reason why the Raiders have missed the playoffs the last few years, despite their good starts, is because that defense just that just can't protect leads light into the game. You know, you look at that Dolphins game where the Raiders, they scored a touchdown and then they took the lead. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick with a guy in his face just chucks the ball deep. And somehow, some way, you have a Dolphins wide receiver wide open, makes the catch, goes out of bounds, and that sets up the Dolphins for a field goal. And the Raiders, they desperately needed to improve their pass rush. Their pass rush has been atrocious ever since they traded away Khalil Mack. Max Crosby, I like Max Crosby. I like what he brings to the table. Um, He's an elite rusher. Now you add Yannick Ngakwe, who had eight sacks last season uh, in, you know, with the Vikings and the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, you add him and that's a dynamic duo right there on that defensive line. I like what the Raiders are doing, but I still think that the Raiders after this move, they have to go get some secondary help because that's, I believe uh, one of the biggest problems for the Raiders on the defensive end or the defensive front for the Las Vegas Raiders and you know to Baltimore it definitely weakens the Ravens because the Ravens you know they lost Judon and now they lose Yannick and now they're going to have to go out on the free agent market and replace those two and you know with all the pass rushers that are flying off the market right now it's going to be really hard for them to replace uh, Yannick and also Judon and also the draft you know it's not that deep in terms of defensive ends. So that's going to be very, even more tougher for the Baltimore Ravens. But Loro, I'll go to you next on this. Um, you know, Yannick Nagakwe signs with the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden finally gets his man. Uh, what is your reaction to Yannick landing with the Raiders? I think Yannick really felt how ease the loss of Khalil Mack. Uh, what I'm saying is, what I agree to what Sammy said about why the Raiders haven't been making the playoffs despite their good starts is because their defense has not really gotten it done for them in closing out games. And adding Yannick Nagakwe really helps with that with that sense in getting to the quarterback. You add another guy as opposite of Max Crosby and Arden Key and Clean and Farrell. But like you said, the Raiders just need to fix that secondary, and when they do, I think the Raiders' defense is going to be lights out. 
Yeah, they are a defense away from seriously uh, challenging the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West. Uh, but it's a good start. You know, Max Crosby on one side with Arden Key and also now Yannick Nagakwe uh, on that defensive line. And uh, hopefully the Raiders can fix the linebacking core as well as the secondary. And who knows, they might be a threat to Kansas City. But going into our comment section, um, Chardot says that he believes that it was a great move for the 49ers to sign Samson Abukav. Edward Lee says, uh, you know, if he had to choose between Juju Smith-Schuster or Trent Williams for the 49ers, he would take Juju Smith-Schuster. And Chardot likes the 49ers bringing back Jason Verrett, as he says, uh, Jason Verrett is now is one of the best cornerbacks on the 49ers squad. No doubt about it, Chardot. The only issue with Jason Verrett, though, is can he stay healthy? That's the only issue with Jason Verrett, because when he's healthy, he's definitely one of the best cornerbacks, uh, not just on the Niners, but in the NFL. And Christy Wilson says hello. Christy, thank you so much for tuning into our show tonight. We really appreciate that. But, fellas, moving Away from free agency and going to some news that broke last night, and that was Drew Brees announced on Instagram that he is hanging it up and he is now going to be joining NBC in the broadcast booth. Uh, the Saints, after the announcement, signed quarterback Taysom Hill to a four-year, $140 million extension. But what's really unique about the extension is that all the years and the money are voidable. So it's one of the most unique extensions in the NFL. And now there's also reports that they're working on a deal with Jameis Winston. But Sammy, I'll start with you on this. Um, you know, what's your reaction to Drew Brees hanging it up? I think we anticipated that was going to happen after the Saints lost to the Buccaneers in the NFC divisional round. But now that it's official, what's your reaction to it? And where do you think the Saints should go now that Brees is officially done? Well, I think that was the worst kept secret in the NFL uh, of his retirement at the end of the season. Um, you know, the same as far as Drew Brees and his legacy, he's always going to be he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that are always overlooked. But you know, his records speak for himself. You know, what he did on the field was un you know unparalleled. Uh, being five foot eight, five foot seven, and being able to chuck the ball like he is, you know, it, it, not quarterbacks taller than him or with better size than him could even do that. And he's opened up the door for quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, you know, to be able to come into the league at under six foot and be an elite quarterback. Not to mention when he was with San Diego and, you know, he messed up his rotator cuff. I forget what he did with his shoulder, but he, you know, it was really bad. Uh, Nick Saban wanted him. No one else other than Nick Saban and I think uh, Sean Payton believed that he uh, Drew Brees would come back and uh, be close to what he was. And, you know, the Miami GM was not willing to take the risk, but the Saints was. And that ended up being leading up to a Super Bowl a few years later with the Saints after Hurricane Katrina, um, you know, leading up to one of the uh, best offenses we've seen in a very long time. And as far as the saints of what they do after right now, they should, uh, it's, it's, it's tough right now with the situation they're in, you know, at one point there were 90 over uh, 90 million over the cap. So, you know, to clear up all that cap and now they're re-signing Jameis Winston, which I thought was huge and something that they needed to do um, to secure at least something, a uh, quarterback that is competent 
at playing the position. I don't know if Taysom Hill is the long-term answer. If Based off of what I saw the last two years, he is not the answer. He might be good for a gimmick, but you know, to sign him to a four-year, $140 million uh, contract, he's not worth it, uh, frankly. And that's why all his contracts are voidable. Uh, you know, Jameis is on a prove-it uh, contract right now. And if he makes if he makes it big this year, this could be his long-term home. You know, he could be the quarterback right after Drew Brees. I don't know if that's what the Saints want to do, but right now that's what position he is in to do. So if he makes it big this year, he could be the quarterback after it. And if he doesn't, you know, next year, the Saints are probably going to be drafting for a quarterback or going to be looking for another quarterback. You know, logically speaking, that's what they would do. Yeah, um, about the Jameis Winston move, uh, Jameis Winston has just, in fact, agreed to a one-year, $12 million contract to return to the New Orleans Saints. So now the Saints have Jameis and they have Taysom Hill um, locked up. So we'll see what they do, whether it's you know Taysom starting or Jameis starting. We'll see what Sean Payton and the Saints decide to do. But Loro, I'll go to you next on this. Uh, you know, Drew Brees calls it quits after an illustrious career. Uh, 15 years with the New Orleans Saints, five years with the San Diego Chargers. Um, you know, what what will you remember about Drew Brees? And also, where do you think the New Orleans Saints should go from here now that Drew Brees is officially done in New Orleans? First of all, I'm going to say that uh, Drew Brees had a Hall of Fame career. It was one of the best careers I've seen. I grew up watching him as a kid. I've always liked Drew Brees. He's kind of he kind of plays similar to what Tom how Tom Brady plays. But I feel like that even though that he didn't find the Chargers as his home, the New Orleans Saints was his home, and he did so much for that franchise. The fans loved him there. He made everybody around him better. And I think what I'm going to remember him most is that I think that Drew about about Drew Brees is that he led the Saints to their first and only Super Bowl title back in the 2009 season after Hurricane Katrina all and all what's been going on in New Orleans. But I really really think that where the Saints go from court go from their quarterback is that I feel like that now that they have Hill, they're going to use Taysom Hill in more like sub packages, special type packages like Tim Tebow types packages. Jameis Winston's kind of like a good backup type quarterback, not a long-term starter from all that means, but I expect the Saints to use this draft class coming up to get a quarterback and they should keep their eyes out on either Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond. Yeah, those two would be excellent options for the New Orleans Saints. But, you know, Drew Brees, in my opinion, he's definitely a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. But what I will remember Drew Brees the most by is this guy literally changed the entire city of New Orleans. You know, like Sammy said, this uh, Drew Brees, or not Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints, they are the new city of New Orleans. They were reeling. After Hurricane Katrina, um, you know, you just remember the whole city being flooded and the New Orleans Saints at that time, they hadn't been good for a very, very long time. And they got Sean Payton um, to be their head coach. And then they go out and take a chance 
on Drew Brees, who was coming off major shoulder surgery at that time. They signed him to a deal. It was at that time, a lot of people were saying that it's a major risk because we didn't know how Drew Brees was going to be coming off that uh, shoulder surgery. And he comes in and he just balls out and he completely changes that franchise for the better. Uh, he leads them to a playoffs birth, I believe, in his first season with the team, leads them to a Super Bowl title not long thereafter. And, you know, the New Orleans Saints, um, they're they're forever changed because of Drew Brees. He made everybody around him better. He just completely turned around that organization and they definitely have to uh, retire his jersey. Nobody should be able to or be allowed to wear number nine ever again uh, in the New Orleans Saints organization. And, you know, as far as where um, the New Orleans Saints go from here, I, I agree with you guys completely. I think that you got to stick with Jameis and Taysom Hill. You know, there's rumors out there that Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill and he wants to use him kind of how the Ravens are using Lamar Jackson right now. But I don't know how that would work because, you know, we've seen with Lamar Jackson, he's really fast and he can fool the defense in many ways. But when you're Taysom Hill, I don't think is like has the athletic ability of a Lamar Jackson. So I don't know how you can use him in that way and be a full-time starting quarterback. And when he had to throw the football, you know, he just really wasn't that good. So I you know, agree with what Loro said. I think that you got to use him in sub packages. You bring in Jameis Winston uh, for, you know, passing downs and for majority of the game, and then you just use Taysom Hill, like how you've been using him uh, when Drew Brees was on the New Orleans Saints and was playing for them. And I expect, you know, New Orleans, I wouldn't be shocked to be honest, if New Orleans goes out and tries to get a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, uh, those two guys would be dynamic under Sean Payton. Um, and also the draft. You know, the New Orleans Saints, they're not picking that high in the first round. So I don't expect them to get a, uh, a quarterback in the first round. They might trade for a quarterback, maybe a Trey Lance. Uh, I maybe could see that coming. But, you know, definitely Kyle Trask. Kellen Mon are quarterbacks that I could definitely see New Orleans drafting in the later rounds. But, you know, we have we do have a very interesting comment from Victor Eisenhower who comments and he asks us, is Drew Brees a top five quarterback of all time? I mean, this is a really tough question, but uh, Sammy, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, what do you think? Is Drew Brees, is, a, is he a top five quarterback of all time? Yes. yes, I think the uh, stats uh, prove that. Uh, I think he's uh, been held back on awards. He was just very unlucky with some years. But, uh, you know, it's a very interesting thing about Drew Brees. He's never had a 10-loss season. And there was a four-year stretch in his career where his defense was, 34, was 31st or worse, okay, in scoring in yards. No other quarterback, if, if other people compare, you know, Aaron Rodgers – uh, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, Steve. Uh, obviously, those, those I think uh, outside of Aaron Rodgers, they are top five quarterbacks. But they didn't have to deal with such a horrible defense for a five year, four or five year stretch. And you know, the worst record that the Saints had with, with uh, Drew Brees as a starting quarterback is seven and nine. That just speaks to how well he was to keep them in the game and to keep them relevant, even when that team was horrible around him. 
Well, for me, Sammy, I, I don't know because there's just a lot of great quarterbacks that have played this game. You know, you talk about Brady. Brady's obviously the GOAT. And then, you know, Montana's right up there. Uh, John Elway is also right up there as well. I think you got to put him on that top five list. And then, you know, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, uh, Johnny Unitas, Aaron Rodgers. I agree with your point about you know, Drew Brees, he had to deal with that atrocious defense for a five-year stretch. But I still think, you know, Brady is better because he's got obviously uh, seven Super Bowls. And then Montana, you got to – I think Montana's number two. I think, I think he's better than Drew Brees. Johnny Unitas, I would put him over Drew Brees. Um, and then, you know, probably I would go with Elway and then Marino and then Peyton Manning. So I would say – Drew Brees, he's not top five for me, but he's definitely uh, top eight uh, if I have to rank those quarterbacks. But, Loro, what do you think? Do you think Drew Brees is a top five quarterback of all time? Absolutely. You put him up there with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and you put him on the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. You absolutely put him up there. Yeah, I, I just don't know because there's been like way too many quarterbacks that have played this game and really great ones that I just don't know who you take out, you know. Uh, like like I said, Unitas, Manning, Favre, Marino, uh, Elway as well. So it's really tough. But, Sammy, do uh, you want to respond to some of my points? Well, I think it's very debatable. Uh, Elway, Marino uh, – you know, you could very very well make a case. I think I prefer Drew Brees, but it's all objective, you know, at that point. You know, uh, Elway, I, I see Elway as a top-tier uh, quarterback. Very underrated, I think. You know, not a lot of people think of him as a top-ten Whenever they're making the top-ten quarterback list, he doesn't get put up there. But the thing is with Elway, the, the flaw with him is that, he, you know, he doesn't have the passing stats, career passing stats with the uh, Peyton Manning, with the Tom Brady, with the Drew Brees, with the Dan Marino. Dan Marino, I think, very well could get up there. But the problem with Dan Marino is he has no ranks. And that's a huge factor whenever it comes to comparing legacies. Yeah, that's why it's like a really tough discussion because a lot of these quarterbacks that played in the old era, you know, the um, the Unitas's of the world, the uh, Elways, the Marinos. The reason why a lot of these guys' passing stats are really low, and also you got to add Terry Bradshaw to that mix as well, it's because back in the old days, the NFL wasn't really a passing league. A lot of these quarterbacks, even Montana, his stats are really low, uh, or passing stats are really low as well, because well, they didn't well, really ask to throw the football like 40, 50 times like they are now in the NFL. So if you're going by stats, you know, uh, Drew Brees definitely has to be up there, but if you're going by you know awards and rings, then I would say Drew Brees. I would say he misses out in the top five. But um, going into our oh, comment oh, section, okay. uh, Marino never won a Super Bowl from I don't like Xbox 2020, and also Drew Brees is a very accurate passer. But we really want to know what you guys think. Uh, is Drew Brees a top? five quarterback of all time feel free to comment down below in the comments section and we'll read your comments live on the air but moving into our college basketball segment for tonight the march madness bracket for 2021 was released 
last night and you know we have uh the playing games starting on thursday with texas southern against mount st mary's and then you have drake against wichita state appalachian state against norfolk state and then ucla against michigan state uh sammy while i pull up the bracket real quick uh i want to ask you uh out of these matchups all these matchups that are in the bracket were some matchups that you are looking forward to well i think you know the closest matchup and the most interesting matchup are the matchup of the former blue bloods and uh michigan state and ucla but the team i'm gonna watch in this first four as Drake because and Drake and Wichita say I didn't see that but uh they're playing uh Drake I think it could be a sweet 16 team I think they're one of the few f- first four teams that could you know if they get a run they could be the only sweet 16 in there I guess you could say Sparty because you know you can never count out coach Izzo but Drake you know they gave Loyola, Loyola uh Chicago who was a very highly touted uh 8C right now and what a, a week ago was considered a top 10 team in some analytics you know they gave them all they could handle in their conference championship for about the first half and most of the second half and you know Loyola Chicago didn't pull away till late in that game so you know I think Drake could you know given a few some luck here and there could uh wind up in the sweet 16 this year Wow, interesting take on that. Uh, Loro, when you look at this bracket, what are some matchups that you are looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing what Georgetown could do against Colorado. I really like what Georgetown did in the Big East Championship round and all that. I, I have, I'll, I'll tell you how, how far I have them going. But a team that I really think that's really going to make a lot of noise in this NCAA March Madness tournament you better watch out for Loyola Chicago because Sister Jean is their good luck charm, and she will make sure that she gets to see Loyola Chicago potentially bring home the title. Yeah, excellent points. Don't count out Loyola Chicago. They've had magic runs uh, the past couple of years. But, fellas, you know, the matchup that I'm looking forward to is – Definitely like North Carolina and Wisconsin. You know, North Carolina, uh, they are a sleeping giant. They were dead in the water a couple of weeks ago, and then they turned it on late, and they got into the tournament, and you can never count out Roy Williams just like you can't count out uh, Tom Izzo at Michigan State. So that's uh, a matchup that I'm really looking forward to. I can't wait for that. Um, Another matchup that uh, I'm looking forward to as well is watch out for Oregon because Oregon, they've been red hot the last couple of weeks as well. So they are a team that I think could potentially maybe reach a sweet 16 and the elite eight. Uh, you look at, obviously you look at the favorites like Michigan. I think Michigan could go all the way because that's how talented that team is. Um, and then, you know, Alabama is another one, too. I'm really impressed with what Nate Oates has done there in Tuscaloosa, just completely turning around that program. But, Sammy, uh, you know, Nick, the next question I have for March Madness is what are some potential sleeper teams that you have? Well, in my Final Four, uh, I have Florida State as my uh, sleeper team. You know, the four seed coming out of there. Uh, as far as a sleeper team and maybe a Cinderella team, we could say here, St. Bonaventure from the A-10. I know that they're the ninth seed and they'd be playing the Wolverines in the second round. But, you know, 
that conference is very underrated. And St. Bonaventure won that conference. And their record is only 16-4. and four. They were a really good team this year. The Bonnies, they were, they were a good team. I think they could give the Wolverines uh, a run for their money. And then, you know, when I'm looking over uh, around the Midwest, around the South, Ohio State, you know, I don't think a lot of people are uh, giving them serious consideration this year. Uh, you know, I think they're, cons- they're another uh, very good Final Four team. Uh, same thing with uh, West Virginia. You know, these are teams that, you know, they're – they're powerhouses in their own perspective, but people are not going to be looking at them. People are going to be looking at the Zags. Uh, Illinois probably. Uh, definitely, uh, what's their face? Michigan, you know, as you said, Gonzaga, Kansas. I, I think Kansas um, this year is not that good this year. Uh, I think, but in their bracket this year, they're in a weak bracket. You know, where the top teams are USC, Kansas, uh, Virginia, who's not that good. Creighton got blown out by 25 in their uh, – conference championship game by Georgetown. So they might not even make it past the uh, first day. Um, you know, another team is, um, you know, you can never count out a top 10, a top tier pick. Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State. Uh, first round, he's going against uh, Liberty. Liberty's another sleeper team you guys got to watch out for. But, uh, you know, you have Oklahoma State, you have Tennessee right there. It's going to be a tough game right there. I would love to see what Cade Cunningham is going to do against them. And then in the very next round, um, you're probably gonna have Illinois, and you're gonna have three, four potential NBA players uh, in a few years in that game. It's gonna be very interesting. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Illinois this entire season. You know, Kofi Cockburn, um, I'm really impressed with him. He's been lights out the last couple of weeks, but. You know, Laurel, before I go to you on this, I just want to say uh, Georgetown is another team that I'm looking forward to and could be a potential sleeper team because they are on a roll uh, ever since what they uh, did in the Big East tournament, just completely dismantling every opponent they went up against. Uh, Good for Patrick Ewing and his Georgetown Hoyas. Um, Also, watch out for Texas. You know, Texas, Shaka Smart, he's got those Longhorns playing exceptional basketball right now. Uh, Who knew that? One year ago today, there were talks that Shaka Smart might be fired. And one year later, Shaka Smart uh, and Texas, they win the Big 12 Conference, and they're on a roll, and they are the third seed in the East region. And, you know, Sammy, you know, to your point about Gonzaga, this might sound crazy, but I don't buy into the Zags. And it's primarily because they play in the West Coast Conference. I don't want to disrespect anybody in the West Coast Conference, but they just don't haven't played anybody in like they haven't played anybody that is a good basketball team. And the Zags, they always find a way to choke when it matters the most in the NCAA tournament. I kind of liken them. Not, not as bad as the Clippers, but they are kind of like the Clippers in which they just choke in the tournament. So that's why, like, in my bracket, I don't have the Zags going to the Final Four, even though that might be a really, really uh, crazy take. But, yeah, go ahead, Sammy. I know that uh, you have one point you want to make. Well, you know, I want to uh, answer back to their uh, strength of schedule. It's been a question. Their, stre- their conference is not strong at all. I'll agree with you there. Okay, but when you go to their schedule – you know, some of the teams that they played was against Kansas, who's, oh, by the way, in that uh, pool. What's the, I think, a three seed, right? Yeah, they played the three key seed Kansas this year, and they beat them uh, by 13. Um, oh, 12, I'm sorry. Then they also played uh, West Virginia. They beat them. I- Iowa, who's the two seed, they beat them by 11. You know, you go down Virginia they played this year. 
Uh, they beat them by uh, tw- 23 points. You know, this team is battle-tested, and they had a game against Baylor this year that was canceled. I would have loved to see that game. Baylor versus Gonzaga. And, uh, you know, they're a very battle-tested team. We could say their conference is very weak, but to sit here and say that, you know, that they play nobody all year, that's uh, straight up not true. Yeah, I mean, I I get your point, but just that, you know, when you look at Kansas, like you said earlier, they're not that good of a basketball team. I don't – like a lot of people are hyping up the Jayhawks like they're going to not win the tournament but potentially go to the Elite Eight or even the Sweet 16. Um, I think Kansas, they might fall either – uh, or they're not going to fall in the first round, but they're. I have them losing in the second round, to be honest with you. And I just – when you look at like – because I, I, I'm a Michigan fan, and I want – you know, I think it's going to be Michigan. And when I see potentially Michigan against Gonzaga, I just don't think the Zags have the answer against the Wolverines. Well, you know, they had the answer a few years ago when they won the national championship against everyone. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll definitely see for sure. But Loro, you look at this bracket right now. Um, you've got all the matchups from the the West, the South, the East, and the Midwest. When you look at this, you know what are some potential sleeper teams that you're uh, going to look out for? Sleeper teams that I'm looking out for is uh, don't count on Villanova. Don't count out Jay Wright. I like what he's doing in Villanova. Also, don't count out. Uh, don't count out Syracuse. Don't underestimate Jim Beheim. So those are my two sleeper teams. But also, I don't have North Carolina going that far. But I'm not going to count out Roy Williams, though. Yeah, definitely for sure. You can never count out, you know, Kansas, Villanova, Syracuse, and North Carolina because no matter how bad these teams might be doing, these two, like those coaches, they know how to win. So you just can't count out the Roy Williams, the Bill Selfs, uh, the Jay Wrights, and also the Jim Beheims of the world. But moving also on. Don't count out Tom Izzo, too. Exactly. Tom Izzo as well. But going into our comments section. Um, Edward has a question for us. Do you guys believe that Michigan will beat UCLA? Uh, Sammy, I'll go to you first on this. What do you think? I think he's referring to the Spartans at Michigan State. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, I think that uh, definitely the Spartans are in a very tough conference in uh, the Big Ten Conference. And personally, you know, I think if they get out of this game, they are, they're playing BYU next round. I think they could get out of that game too. You know, this this is a team that they're one of those teams. I think them and Rutgers are very good, but the record doesn't tell the truth versus other teams because you know UCLA. No other conference right now is as deep as the Big Ten. The Big Ten this year has eight teams that are in the bracket, and probably you could argue nine teams that are in the bracket. You know, it's just unlucky. And uh, Spartans have also had a. Uh, good, uh, what's it called, late season, beating Illinois, I'm pretty sure. They beat Ohio State at home. You know, they have some very quality wins. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, the Michigan State, they have had a great late season surge. Um, you look at what they did late uh, in the final weeks of the regular season, they lost to Maryland, but then they followed that up by beating uh, Indiana, which fired Archie Miller today. We'll get into that later. They lost to Michigan, but then they came back and then they beat Michigan uh, last Sunday. And then, you know, losing to uh, Mich- or Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. 
Uh, yeah, you just can never count out Tom Izzo and Sparty. I think yeah, you're definitely right, Sammy. The Big Ten is definitely like one of the deepest conferences in all of college basketball, and the Spartans are battle-tested. But, Loro, how about you? Do you think Michigan State will beat UCLA come Thursday? I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't see why Michigan State would lose to UCLA, but I do think UCLA has a good basketball program. But I do think Michigan State is the better team. Yeah, definitely for sure. I got to agree with you guys on that. Uh, moving on to our next comments that we have. Uh, Chardot comments and says that he thinks that the Kansas Jayhawks will win the 2021 Final Four Championship in March Madness. Uh, Chardot, I hate to tell you this, but I can't I can't see that. Um, do any of you guys see Kansas winning at all? I, I, really, I see a small comment. I see his follow-up comment right here. He's talking about Andrew Wiggins. Uh, I think if it was last year, they would have won it all. But this year, I don't think so. Yeah, they're just not as talented as uh, the prior squads that Bill Self has had there in Lawrence, Kansas. And Chardot says that he thinks Kansas is a really good basketball team. I mean, we'll see what happens. You can never count out the Jayhawks and Bill Self. But, fellas, you know, moving into our final uh, topic for March Madness, and that is, you know, our, what are your guys' final four and national championship or national champion prediction? Loro, I'll start with you on that. So my final four picks are Gonzaga and Georgetown and Villanova and Loyola Chicago. And my pick to be in the national championship game is Georgetown versus Loyola Chicago. And my winner for the uh, college basketball NCAA tournament national championship game, I I picked Georgetown to beat Loyola Chicago by three points. I predict the score will be 78 to 75, and that game will go to overtime. Wow, man. What a pick. I mean, that would be a, definitely an entertaining game for sure. Sammy, how about you? What are your final four predictions, and who do you got winning it all this season in college basketball? Well, I got the Zags, uh, Florida State, and Ohio State versus Illinois. And it pains me to say it, but, you know, I have Illinois with, you know, and I think Illinois is a very good team. They have the perfect center uh, point guard combo right now in the country. I think Illinois is going to be beating the Gonzaga in the national championship. I think I think it was like 78 to 68, but it's going to be a very good game. You heard my national championship pick. I said Georgetown versus Loyola Chicago. Wait, you got Georgetown? Yeah. Wow. Sammy, you got any reactions? Yeah, it, it, I, I'm very uh, analytical. I don't think there would be two eight seeds going at it. <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I, I just said I, I slipped on what I said, guys. So I meant to say that my national title game pick is Georgetown versus Loyola Chicago, and I have Georgetown winning by three. Wow. And I'm going to overtime. I, I, I said Villanova, but I slipped. Oh, don't worry, don't worry about that, man. But wow, what a shocking pick from Loro. He's got Georgetown against Loyola Chicago in the fight or in the national championship. But fellas, my pick 
uh, for the final four. I'll start off with that. Uh, I actually got Iowa coming out of the West. Um, I like Iowa. I like what Luca Garza brings to the table. I think he's one of the best players in all the college basketball. Um, and then, you know, obviously I got to go with the Michigan Wolverines in the East. I think Michigan right now, they're a terrific team. Jawan Howard's built a terrific program there in an arbor. Uh, and then when you look at the South, I got to go with Baylor uh, in the South. And then in the Midwest Conference, I'm going to go with Illinois because I've watched a lot of Illinois basketball the last couple of weeks. And they've just been really dominant uh, against whomever they're playing. And for my national championship pick, I'm going to go with Michigan against uh, I'm going to go with Michigan against Illinois. And fellas, this might shock you guys. But I got Illinois winning it. I got Illinois beating Michigan. And that's primarily because Isaiah Livers, Michigan's best player, is out for at least the next two weeks. He might miss more time because he's got a bone bruise in his leg. So that's a huge loss for Michigan if he, in fact, misses uh, the entire NCAA tournament. He's just very vital to Michigan's success. But I'm going with Illinois. Laurel's going with uh, Georgetown against Loyola Chicago. Uh, Laurel, who you got winning it, by the way? Georgetown. Yeah. Yeah. Going to go to overtime. It's going to be 78 to 75, I think. Georgetown, whoever whoever that may be, that's going to come down to the last shot. Yeah, he's got uh, Georgetown winning it. Patrick Ewing bringing another or bringing the national championship as a coach to Georgetown. And uh, Sammy, who who was uh, your National championship pick? Illinois. Illinois. So, Sammy got Illinois as well. Uh, we really want to know what you guys, where your final four predictions are, and also what you guys' predictions for the national championship game is. So, please comment that down in the comment section. We'll put it up on the screen. But, fellas, moving into our final topic of the night, and that is Indiana announced today that they have fired head coach Archie Miller. You know, I'm going to start first on this. Uh, I've actually been calling for Archie Miller firing for the last couple of weeks. You know, Indiana, this is what Indiana thinks they are. Indiana, the fan base thinks that they are this great of a program that is supposed to be up here when in reality they're down here and stuck in mediocrity. The fan base still thinks that this is like the 1980s and the 1990s during the, uh, the Bobby Knight era. But I hate to break it to all the IU faithful over there it is not that or you're not that anymore you're mediocre right now and Archie Miller he's a good coach but the problem I had with Archie Miller Loro and Sammy is the fact that this guy was in four seasons did you guys know that Indiana was one of the worst shooting teams in the Big Ten in all four seasons he was there as the head coach like I get the fact that one season you have a bad shooting, you're fine. We can excuse it. Two seasons, uh, you, you got higher shooting code, but we, we'll excuse it. But four seasons of bad shooting each and every year, that's inexcusable, man. He should have hired a shooting coach to fix Indiana's shooting woes, but he did not. And, you know, Indiana, they've just been going down or just stuck in mediocrity in the four years that he's been there. And now that he Archie Miller is gone, Indiana – if you want to be back to the program that you were back in the 80s and the 90s and where your fan base thinks you are, 
Go get John Beeline. John Beeline knows how to win. He took Michigan to two national championship games. John Beeline, I think, will step in there and he will change that program and he will bring Indiana back to where they were back in the 80s and the 90s. But, Sammy, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, you know, what's your thoughts about uh, Archie Miller getting the boot at Indiana? Uh, well, you know, I think he came into a bad situation, or not a bad situation, but in a very unlucky situation. Uh, he stepped into Indiana at the same time. Uh, the Big Ten started, you know, having schools like Rutgers and Illinois rise back onto the scene. And, you know, it, it's it's it was really bad luck for him. And he started off pretty, his first two years were not too bad. I think they went to the bracket the second year. And then the last two years, you know, this year he, he didn't make the bracket at all. It was a uh, below 500 season. And the year before that, I, I think it was a 500 season. But, you know, it's hard to compete in a conference like the Big Ten when you're a team that is uh, average or below average. In a conference with 8 to 10 uh, conference – or not conference – tournament contenders year in, year out. It's hard to compete like that. And as far as moving on from uh, R.G. Miller, I don't know what you do because you cannot expect any coach right now to hop in Indiana and, you know, recruit the Fab Five and completely bring back the program in two or three years. It's not going to happen. This is going to be a process. You know, you have to recreate your reputation, rebuild it. And Indiana already has a really good reputation. Of being a really good basketball school, uh, the Zeller was uh, Tyler Zeller, I do believe, was not too long ago. Uh, and uh, Victor Oladipo, you know, that wasn't too too long ago. So you know, you still have some basketball history that is relevant now. But you know, as far as bringing a new coach and then expecting him to say, "Okay, you're going to dominate the conference now." It's not realistic. You know, people always do that for college football with SEC coaches. With uh, When Jim Harbaugh got hired at the Wolverines, uh, you know, people expected him year one to be 11-1 and one and contend for a national champion. And even now, they still contend, expect him to say, you know, you should be contending for national champions. Look what we did in 1930. All right? It, it's not realistic. With a conference with a whole bunch of talent in it, in a deep conference, you're not. It's not going to be a one or two year process. Can't expect any coach to revitalize a program in a one or two year process. You have to give it some time. I think Archie Miller, personally, if I was the AD, I probably would have gave him a couple more years uh, because I see what he did in Dayton and uh, with the Flyers and revitalize that and make it a big basketball program, and you know. Uh, Give him a give him more tools to work with. Maybe hire that shooting coach for him, you know, or maybe give him a two year extension on make or break it deal. You know, or yeah, you know, uh, I don't. And as far as moving on, I don't know where you go if in your Indiana. Uh, hire a Duke assistant. I'm assuming that's what probably what they're gonna do. Uh, you cannot expect the same results though, or better results outside of Archie Miller. Loro, I'm going to go to you next on this. Archie Miller was, um, I believe his record as the head coach at Indiana was 67 and 58 in his four seasons there from 2017 to 2021. Um, this season he finished 12 and 15 and Indiana pays a $10 million buyout to 
for him to not coach in Bloomington, Indiana anymore. What was your reaction to this news that Indiana parted ways with their head coach? Uh, and where do you think Indiana goes from here now that Archie Miller is officially gone in Bloomington? I felt like that the, the Indiana Hoosiers should have given him another chance. But from like what Sammy said, it probably was the best decision from what I understand for them to move on. But I do think the Hoosiers should bring back, bring John Beeline to be their head coach. They need to get back to the into the big dance. They need to be back into being the top-ranked college basketball team. Yeah, I can't agree more with you on that. Uh, when Indiana's good, you know, college basketball is great. But going into our comment section, you know, Austin Morrison, he has a couple of uh, – or he has a question for us. What do you guys think of Rick Pitino or John Beeline to Indiana? Sammy, I'll start with you on this. I don't think Rick Pitino should ever get a big-time college basketball coaching job ever again after what he did in Louisville. Don't think he should ever get a job like yeah, I, I agree. I think Rick Pitino, there's just too much baggage with him. And uh, John Beeline, though, is the guy that I definitely want there in Indiana. But, Loro, how about you? Do you think Rick Pitino, John Beeline to Indiana? I go John Beeline. Yeah, definitely. John Beeline, he knows how to win. He knows how to turn around programs. And uh, one last question for us, fellas, on this topic. Uh, Victor Eisenhower asks us, what do you guys think of the Brad Stevens to Indiana rumors? Do you guys think that there is any validity to those rumors? Uh, Sammy, what do you think? No. How about you, Loro? You think there's any validity to those Brad Stevens going to Indiana? No, I think Brad Stevens has been a great head coach for the Celtics, and I do think that he's going to continue building on a successful program in Boston. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't believe those rumors one bit. Um, you know, Brad Stevens, why would you leave the NBA to go back to college when you have a Celtics team that is young, that is on the rise, that's been to three Eastern Conference Finals in four seasons? And who knows, they might break through this season and go to the NBA Finals. But, fellas, it's been a great show, but it's time for tonight's final thoughts. All right, gentlemen, we had a great show with a lot of NFL free agency news and college basketball and also college basketball firings as well. But, Sammy, uh, I'm going to start with you first on final thoughts. Um, what is your final thoughts for tonight's show? Well, you know, it was a great night until I learned that uh, my man Bud Dupree left Pittsburgh and is a Tennessee Titan, uh, you know. It's very tough news to swallow. And he took less money to go to Tennessee, but I know why, because he wanted a long-term deal, and Pittsburgh wasn't ready to give it to him yet. Very tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that, Sammy. But, uh, Loro, you know, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was a great show. Great having you on the show tonight. But uh, any final thoughts from you? I mean, from the Patriots' standpoint, I'm very happy with what they did today in free agency upgrading their offense i also wanted to say here that uh, i want to think i want to say i think that nelson aguilar is going to be a great addition to the passing game but i still want a franchise quarterback in the draft for the patriots yeah, most definitely, man. The Patriots, I believe, are a quarterback away from seriously contending in the AFC. But, you know, it's been a great show. Um, I want to thank all the fans. I want to thank Victor, 
Austin Morrison, Edward Lee, Shardot Gupta, as well as uh, I Don't Like Xbox 2020, um, as well as Christy Wilson and Callan McClurg and Corey Goodridge for tuning in. Really appreciate all of you guys for tuning in to tonight's show. Um, but and all, yeah, thank you for tuning in to tonight's show. A uh, couple of thoughts and announcements, real quick. You know, we're trying. We have, oh, we have our MI6 Sports Network March Madness Hot Takes Challenge. I'm trying to pull up that poll real quick so we can announce the results on the air. But this was our first uh, poll of this challenge. It was. My take of Keenan Slovis being the best quarterback at USC ever and Ryan Schreiner's take of Adam Gase to USC and by a 75% to 25% vote count, uh, I'm advancing to the next round of the bracket. So uh, congratulations to myself, I guess. But Keenan Slovis, best USC quarterback ever. That is going to be advancing to the next round. But make sure you guys – Go to the MI6 Sports Network Twitter account and also go to the MI6 Sports Network Instagram and cast your votes. We will have two polls up every single day uh, as part of our bracket. So make sure you guys go vote and we'll announce the result on our show later on in the night. But it's been a great show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Remember, we're not going to have a show uh, from from tomorrow on until Saturday, which will be our MI6 Sports Network one-year anniversary special. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you guys on Saturday.